Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday. Oh, feels good to be here, huh? Are you doing well? Well, you look good, and that's half the battle. At least that's what they tell me anyways. I want to thank everyone who's noticed that I'm wearing a hoodie again. I feel like it's an insult, you know? I wore a suit jacket on Easter, and now I just feel like every time I wear a hoodie, you're just making fun of me, but you know... I feel like Jesus would wear hoodies, don't you think? Especially in Seattle. Hey, if we haven't met, I'm Billy, and uh, one of the one of the pastors here. And thanks for coming out to church on a Sunday morning. Like Bamana said, this is our third week in a row. We've been gathering for a few months now, but um, we started going weekly just uh, just um, yeah three weeks ago. So, ooh, feels good. Feels good to see you every single week. Um, if you want to know, we don't. So our goal is to go every week, but we don't own the Hilton. Hilton, in case you were wondering. So um, that means we don't have every week reserved because other other organizations will be in here. So if you want to know when church is happening, the easiest way is to take out your phone and text 116-JOIN-US to the number 94,000. 116-JOIN-US to 94,000. If you text that, then you'll get a weekly update like churches this Sunday. And uh, also you can go to the website and you can go to social media at 116 Church, but try and follow us. We're church on the move. So if there's a Sunday where you show up and you didn't check social media, you didn't get the text, and you didn't jump online ever, and you didn't talk to a single soul, and you show up, and there's no one here, please don't get mad at me. I'll be here with a cup of coffee <laughs> on our off Sundays. Like, cheers. Go out to breakfast. You know, it'll be awesome. So it's going to be great. You doing well? Oh, you look good. All right. If you got a Bible, I am stoked out of my mind to begin what is uh, going to be a series that we're going to jump into for the next next few weeks or so called the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't know if you've been in church most of your life. I grew up in church. So there's certain phrases that you kind of like, we just kind of lean on in church. And so for church people, that phrase is one that's just, um, it's real. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I've been alive for 44 years, in case you were wondering. I know I look like I'm in my young 20s. I get it. But it's 44 years going here. And um, I have found in the last year or so, I have never talked to so many people wrestling with discouragement. Um, or, I mean, you could call it depression. I mean, there's, aren't there levels of depression? I certainly have felt over the last year and a half moments and seasons where you're just like, I don't think I want to get out of bed. And if I wear sweatpants one more day in a row, <laughs> I just feel like I quit in life. You know? and, um, it's real, isn't it? It's real. And I think not only is it just life in general, and there's always moments, but also just kind of the season we've been in as a, as a as a country, as a world, you know, coming into quarantine and lockdown. And it does something to you, not being with people, not connecting with people the way we used to. Things have changed. Talk about fear and uncertainty. All those things are real. And I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and he was just being super honest about literally like so discouraged that it was borderline depression. And I could relate. And I remember saying to him, I was like, man, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I said it not like, let's preach, but like, no, no, like I'm clinging to that truth. Like I need the joy of the Lord and I need it to give me strength, not just like make me happy and make me smile real big, but like strengthen my soul. And oddly enough, it's actually in the Bible, as you know, and it is true that God strengthens us and he does it through joy. So I'd love to take the next, I don't know, maybe it'll be two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. We can do whatever we want. So um, I'm going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about that. Sound good? All right. If you got a Bible, go with me to Acts and they're working on the screen. So they might get it up there. If they don't, you'll just get this really cool rainbow scene right here. 
very happy feeling. So I'm going to read to you, though. If they don't have it up there, it's all good. Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to read. Honestly, this is one of my favorite. I think I say that all the time. But this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I'm just realizing. I say that every time I read the Bible. It's kind of true. I love this guy. Um, His name is Stephen. And the thing I love about Stephen, he's just an ordinary guy, so I can relate. Maybe you can't, but I can certainly relate with this guy. And this is, this is kind of his story. This is his moment of fame in Scripture. Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, oh, they got it. I think they got it. Way to go, you guys. No, they didn't. I spoke too soon. <laughs> Still, love you guys. Thank you. Now, in these days, just listen to my voice. It'll be like story time. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve disciples summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching for the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nanachor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and Proselyte. So many words I can't pronounce, but you get it. (laughs) Key thing is they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to fast forward to chapter 7. I'll fill in the the details for you. There's so much to talk about, so I'm going to have to kind of give you just kind of the paraphrase. Stephen waits on these tables. He considers it a great honor, but in his spare time, he's a man full of grace and power. And so he begins to preach the gospel and the Bible says signs and wonders follow. And so much so that people falsely accuse him. They take him into court and they're accusing him of of blasphemy. And so he's standing before the court and they're, and they're accusing him. He's giving account of God and it's amazing and it's supernatural. I'm going to pick it up in chapter seven, verse 54. And if you don't know, Stephen is the first martyr in Christendom. So this is, this is that moment. Now, when they had heard these things that Stephen said, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, look. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Okay, a lot to say. Let me read one more passage for you, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. This is Romans, written by the man named Paul who was the same guy in that passage we just read, Saul, before he became Paul. Saul was a bad man. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I'm going to read the the Passion Translation. He says, Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope until you radiate. This is read well until you radiate with hope. I would like to title this talk for the first part of this series, the applause of heaven, the applause of heaven. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these moments we have. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. I sense your presence. Um, Thank you that you are 
our joy. You're our strength. You're our hope. I pray that every person listening right now in this room, those listening by car or phone as they listen to it later, Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged and they would find strength in your word. Thank you for being with us and thank you for being for us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life, so uh, sometimes I like to talk about Christians, and I reserve the right to do so, because I is one, and so I could talk about us. Um, Have you ever met Christians that are just kind of like unhappy? You ever met them, like kind of just kind of cranky, a little grouchy, just always like kind of cold, you know, uh, just, you know, like just card-carrying members of the chosen frozen, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? The religious frigid, <laughs> like it's just, and I'm, don't get mad at me if you are that person. I'm gonna help you out right now. But I've, it's always been surprising to me how Christians, followers of Jesus, can kind of just be like dogmatic. And they're kind of like oh, scowling. I'm like, what? Like we have the best news in the whole world. How is it that you're so unhappy? Right? Like I get on. Like we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. The hope. It's always puzzled me when I run across these people. I remember standing in a pizza buffet in Atlanta years ago. (laughs) What a great line to an opening story, right? Look at that. I remember standing in a pizza buffet in Atlanta years ago. It's like so classic. I was there. My sons were young. They were like five and six, and we'd always go to this buffet. I lived, I was a youth pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and we had this this pizza buffet we'd go to. And they don't have those here because we're super healthy here in Seattle. But clearly you can see I partook of the pizza buffets. In my youth pastor days. Anyways, it's like $2.99, all you can eat pizza, which doesn't even seem right. But my sons loved it. And the thing of it is, there was, um, there was a lot of church people. So I was a pastor of a pretty big church in Atlanta. And so this restaurant, even though it was a pretty local area, a lot of people would have known, like, oh, that's Pastor Billy. And it's the South. And if anyone, anyone here from the South, anyone from the South, like, you get it. Like, you know all the ministers. It's like everyone's a minister. Everyone's dad's a Baptist pastor somewhere. So, like, people know. They're like, pastor, pastor, pastor. You know, even the gangsters of the drug dealers, like, see you at church, pastor. You know, like, it's, I'm serious. That actually is real. And so um, I walk into this. So, you know, I'm always a where there was a definitely a decent amount of religiosity in the restaurant that day. I remember walking in, but pastor, 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 okay. So I got my two boys, we eat our pizza. And one of the things my sons, Jude and Caleb loved is we'd go to the back room and they had this game room where you would play this game. You put in a quarter and you steer and these little, you know, those little bouncy balls and ones that bounce super high. You win one every single time. So Judah, my son, he's like seven, puts it in, he gets it. And he's thrilled and he wins. And I'm like, good for you, man. And so, but he notices through the glass, there's a pink one. There's a pink ball. And he's like, daddy, I want the pink ball. Now, back in my 20s, it may have bothered me slightly that my firstborn's favorite color was pink. But I have since then learned uh, real men wear pink. (laughs) I personally like it. I'm looking at Jordan right here on the front row and... (laughs) He's wearing a pink shirt. And honestly, if you think it's not manly, say it to his face. <laughs> Just say it to his face. See what happens. You know? So I'm down with pink. So I'm like, well, put your quarters in, son. Get the pink ball. And so he puts it in. He gets like a rainbow-colored ball. He gets like a little brown ball. You know? All these things, but not the pink ball. And it's right there. And I'm a youth pastor. I have a limited amount of money. I've already given him $5. I mean, that's more than we paid for the whole meal, right? And so... And he was like, Daddy, and I can see, he's, you know, you have, you have young kids, and the last thing you want them to do in public is to, like, implode, <laughs> you know, like, just lose it. And so I can see, he's like, Daddy, you want the pink? And so I'm like, oh, my God, okay. And I'm like, and I, I go, Judah, why don't you pray and ask Jesus to give you the pink ball? You ever make a suggestion 
And then the moment you end the words, you're like, what did I just do? That's what I felt like. Cause I'm thinking like, okay, now if Judah doesn't get the pink ball, I've just caused my five-year-old son to have a crisis of faith, which means I'm going to have to spend every dollar I have until the pink ball falls out. So he knows that Jesus is real. Right? So I'm like, and he's like, okay. And I'm now I'm praying. I'm like, Oh Lord. I'm like, if you're up there, you know? And so he's like, Jesus, please, I'm praying to you right now. You would just give me the pink ball. You know? And I'm like, yes, God, please. Puts the quarter in. You're not going to believe it. Boom. Pink ball. You know, it's Judas thrilled. I'm like, you're there. <laughs> you know, I literally, I, I was more excited than he was. I'm like, I had my doubts, but you're up there. And so we're having this moment. He's got the pink ball and he's got it, you know, and so I'm just, I'm like, Judah, you should thank Jesus. Again, making suggestions that I'm not thinking through in my mind. And so my son just being innocent and the greatest, and we're in this restaurant that's small and everyone's kind of watching the commotion because Judas, and he just, he just grabs his pink ball and his other ball and he throws his hands in the air and he screams at the top of his voice, Jesus, thank you for my balls. I mean, you should have seen the cranky Christians looking at me that day. Now, I think it's funny. Like, I laughed. I'm like, that's hilarious. And amen. You know, like, I mean, it's funny stuff. But I mean, if you had seen the stuck up saints in that restaurant, I mean, the looks I got. My son, they, and they looked at me. They like shook their head. And some of them gasped. Like, how dare? How dare he talk like that? And I'm like, well, he's, he's not thinking what you're thinking, what we're all thinking, right? Like that's, he's seven, he's five, he's innocent, you know? And I remember in that moment just being like, what is, and I, and I wasn't upset at my son because I thought it was funny and I thought we should laugh and I understood that he was innocent. And I wanted to say to these people that were literally like just staring at me, like, pastor, I wanted to say, where is your joy? Like, my goodness, laugh a little, like smile. It's good for your soul. Why are we so serious as saints? And I remember walking out there and people were like, well, that was inappropriate. I'm like, you're inappropriate. <laughs> you know? Why do we allow religion to steal our joy? Why do we let anything for that matter steal our joy? Stephen didn't. In scripture, Stephen didn't. Bible says that Stephen, while he was being stoned, while he was dying, that he gazed into heaven and he said, look, I see Jesus. That's what the Bible says. He had so much peace and joy, so much so that in that moment, the Bible says that he was able to be like, God, forgive him. Now, I know that Jesus on the cross, we celebrated Easter last week. And, you know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, which is amazing. But that was Jesus. That's Jesus. And I know I'm trying to be like Jesus, but when you tell me Jesus forgave the men and women who were killing him, well, it's like, well, he's, he's God. But this is Stevie from down the street. You know what I'm saying? This is just Stephen. And Stephen, while he's being murdered, prays for his murderers. God, forgive him. And the Bible says he fell asleep. Talk about strength and joy and a man. Actually, in verse 5 or verse 15, it says when he stood before the court, they said this. They said that his face was shining like that of an angel. Stephen had joy that was strength. Now, the reason I like Stephen is because he's an ordinary man. And you and I can relate. He had an ordinary job. He was given an ordinary responsibility 
from the disciples. He was, he was a waiter. He was waiting tables, which is, a, which is a reputable job. I did it for years, supported my family, waiting tables. Thank you for your tips, right? So this is a reputable job, but this is just ordinary. He's in the food service industry. Like he's not a, he's not a spectacular, famous, he's not Peter. He's not James or John, one of the, ooh, one of the 12. Oh, what was it like? No, no, he's just Stephen. He's an ordinary man with ordinary responsibilities, but somehow he makes it into the Bible's hall of fame. Like it's chapters devoted to him in the holy canon of God. Why? Because he suffered greatly? No. In fact, if you read the story, which we just did, it doesn't even look like Stephen felt like he was suffering. No, because he lived so big. That's why. Stephen lived big. Let me ask you a question. Are you living for something bigger than yourself? Are you? Because I propose that that is the way life is meant to be lived. If all we're living for is like our little goals and I'm consumed with my little problems and I'm consumed with the issues that I'm facing and my relationships and then that one bill that I have to pay. Like those are all real and we can make them so big in our lives. But are you living for something that's bigger than yourself? Stephen lived for something bigger than himself. And that's where his joy came from. So you would say, okay, well, Sounds good, Pastor, but how would I even begin to live that way? Well, it starts with the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with you reading your Bible more. It doesn't start with your church attendance. It doesn't start with your giving record. It starts with the joy of the Lord being your strength, a.k.a. your purpose with God. I've said this before. I'll say it again. God has a purpose for every single person in this room has a purpose for you. The fact that you're breathing is proof positive that God still has a plan for you because God doesn't do anything that doesn't have purpose and plan so that you're still here, I'm still here, there's still a plan. God has a purpose for you. And the opposite of purpose is hopelessness. And that's where our joy gets stolen. It's the opposite is hopelessness. Have you ever felt hopeless? Um, it's like a fog. You know, if you're, in a, if you're in a storm and there's just a thick fog that sets in, hopelessness. It's like you may not, you may not, you may not say I'm hopeless, but hopelessness just looms around you like a fog. You ever woke up one morning? I've had this. I just wake up and all of a sudden, like, I can't, I feel it. It's like, it's thick. It's around me. Um, it affects what I can see. It changes my perspective. It limits my vision. I feel the weight of it on me. It changes everything. I can't see anymore. It's like this, this, it's this fog that settles in in life. And sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. Like you could be having the best day. Things with the wife are good. Things with the kid are good. Job is doing well. Good friends. Had happy hour the other night. We're having fun. And then all of a sudden you wake up and just the fog just like blew in overnight. And there's just this like, uh, this weight, hopelessness. It's real. It's a real thing. And we've all felt it at some point. I can't remember the name of the woman. She was a famous Olympic swimmer and she was attempting to break the world record by swimming the English Channel. And um, I wish I could remember her name, but she was swimming and she was so close, but they said a huge fog set in while she was towards the end. And she didn't realize that she was half a mile away from shore. She didn't realize that. Now she had swum, I don't know how many countless miles to get to this point, a half a mile she could literally do in her sleep. But because she couldn't see anything, because the fog was was blocking everything. She gave up and she got in the boat only to find out that she was right there. 
That's what hopelessness does to us. Settles like a fog. Sometimes we don't even know we're hopeless. We're just in this hopeless kind of fog. And we just kind of like, I just think I'm not probably not going to show up. I'm just not going to. And it just kind of weighs on you. The opposite of that is purpose. Can I tell you the purpose God has for your life is bigger than the temporary fog you may find yourself in. It's temporary. Please believe me. It's temporary. Okay, good news. Ecclesiastes 3.1 tells us that God has a purpose for everything and that purpose unfolds in seasons. Seasons. Can I tell you the dictionary definition of seasons? I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. It's temporary. I know that. Whether it says it in the dictionary or not, seasons by definition are temporary. They don't last. Like the the spring is coming. Thank God. Thank God winter did not last, right? And then summer's going to come and we wish it would stay. We wish it would stay forever. Like we were in San Diego, but it won't. And then we'll go into fall and the fall in Seattle's awesome, but it's not going to stay. Seasons by definition don't last. That's true in life. God's purpose for my life and your life, it unfolds in seasons. So no matter where you find yourself, please take hope and refuge and joy in this truth that it's not going to last. If you're in a tough place right now, have hope. I promise you it won't last. Just think three months from now, five months from now, you will be in a different season. As sure as the flowers bloom in spring, as certain as the temperature rises in the summer, as certain as the leaves fall during autumn and the birds fly south for the winter, as certain as that is, the season you're in will change. If you're in a good season, well then rejoice. Be grateful for it. Actually, gratitude helps me hang on to it when it's past. Because I can remember, man, that was good. And I can remind myself it was good then, be good again, right? Seasons are temporary. So maybe, maybe stop fighting the season you're in. I'm so bad at this. I fight seasons. Like if, like I'm the guy that goes out in the middle of winter. I don't, but I would in my Speedo, which I'll never do. And I'm like, summer come, you know, like, and no matter what I do, winter will kill me because you can't fight a season. We live in a culture that um, places so much value on the individual's opinion and we all get to make our own truth. Can I tell you the truth about seasons? Your opinion doesn't matter. And if that's offensive to you, try and cancel the season. You can't. It just doesn't care about your opinion. It doesn't matter that you want it to be over. And as followers of Jesus, you can pray for a season to end and it still won't end because God does his thing in seasons. So here's the thought. Instead of fighting it, embrace it. Embrace the season. Figure out what it is you need to learn and so we can move on. Like embrace the season. Okay, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Some of you give me grief if you know me because I listen to Christmas music early on. I'm gonna tell you why. When October hits, I start the Christmas carols. And some of you are like, that is ridiculous. It helps me embrace the season. Because the nights get long and the days get short. It's dark, it's cloudy, and it's cold. And I'm like, I can't do it. I'm like, Christmas music, ha. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a real thing for me. So I, I crank up like, yo, deck the halls with boughs of holly. You know what I'm saying? And it's just Christmas for three months. It's me trying. I'm going to embrace this season instead of fighting it. I get super into like bonfires and coffee. You're like, oh, no, no. I'm literally like, instead of fighting the fact that the sun is gone and it has died and refuses to shine for seven more months, I'm just going to embrace 
the season I'm in. Don't have to fight it. Embrace it. And for the love of God, do yourself a favor and stop comparing the season you're in with other people's seasons. Oh, now this is, this is where we, this is where we as church people, for sure, we compare our season with their season. This is the worst thing you can do because we're all in a journey. God has a plan for all of our lives, has a purpose for all of our lives. In comparison, nothing can, almost nothing can steal your joy quicker than comparison. Oh, we were hanging out with some friends last week during Easter. We were having, and we were having dinner. And one of them, she had, I knew she had recently gotten into a new condo. And it's really nice, cool area in Bellevue. And so I was like, and you know, a couple weeks before that, she's like, oh, my new condo is so great. And I got this thing. And we were like, oh. And so I was like, how are you loving the condo? She's like, it's good. But I went over to my friend's condo last night. She has a rooftop pool. She has a hot tub. Her gym is so much bigger. In a theater, she has a private theater. And I literally stopped and I go, comparison's the worst, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, honestly, think about that. Two weeks ago, she was like, I live in the best place in the world. And then she saw our friend's place. She's like, oh, my place stinks, right? Like, <laughs> stop comparing your season with other people's seasons. Just, we do that all the time. It's like, man, God's blessing me. I'm making good money. Then you hear your friend, how much money they're making. You're like, oh, make so much more money than me. You know, like... That is the worst thing. The Bible says we should not compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Okay, Stephen, verse 2 in our passage today. What if Stephen had compared his stage in life with the, the apostles? And we know maybe it was Peter. I don't know who was talking to him, but the 12 disciples. What if he had compared it with Peter's? Look what Peter says in verse 2. He says it would not be right that we neglect the preaching to wait on tables. It would not be right. Which tells me a few things. First of all, at one point, it was right. At one point in another season, it was actually right and good for Peter and the 12 disciples to feed the widows and wait on tables. It was good, but the season has changed. And so Peter is saying, no, 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 it would not be right for us to do it. You know who it's right for? Steve. That's who it's right for. Now imagine if Steve had been like, well, you know what? I also, too, now that you ask, feel that I should also devote myself to the preaching and the studying. And, and this wouldn't be a far stretch because Stephen is a man anointed by God. Clearly, we see that. Like, he preaches and he does miracles. What if Stephen would be like, no, no, no. I want to be in the same season as you. Imagine the confusion and the disruption that would have caused, not only in his life and others' lives, but no, no, no. Your season is different from someone else's. I love that this, the scripture says that the apostle said it wouldn't be right. Not that it wouldn't be good. Do you know that sometimes the enemy of right isn't bad, it's just good? Sometimes we just get busy doing good things and we neglect the right thing. That's easy to do. Because doing good things makes me feel pretty good. But in, deep in my heart, I'm like, but I, but I know... And you're like, well, what if I miss the right thing? Well, if you're looking for the right thing, you're not going to miss the right thing. Again, God's not a big kid up in heaven like, ooh, see if I can trick him. That's not God. Like, he wants you to find the purpose he has for your life. That's why he, that's why he showed up. Like, he's got a plan, and the goal is for you to get the plan and run with it. So if you're looking to do right, but so many times we do good instead of right because we, we don't really want the right. Either it's, it takes too much faith, we don't think we can, or we looked at someone else like, I, 
I want what they're doing. Like, I want to do what they're doing. Well, that's not God's plan for you. And can I just submit the best place to be in the whole world is right in the middle of God's plan? Like, no, 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 man, I want to be in Maui on my yacht. Not if it's not God's plan, maybe for a week. But other than that, I'm telling you, you don't. Because that yacht in Maui is going to be a whole bunch of trouble. You want to be where God wants you to be. That's where you'll find the most fulfillment, the most hope, and the most joy in life is right where God has you. What if, what if Stephen had been like, no, 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 this isn't, I want to do what you're doing. No, no, no. It was the season for Stephen to do. Stop comparing your season with others. Do what's in front of you to do. Do that. My dad, when I was young, I said, Billy, I'd like you to wash the dishes. I'm like, okay, dad. And I go and I take out the trash, wipe down the counter, sweep the floor. When my dad comes back, what do you think he'll judge me on? On the good that I did or the thing he asked me to do? Would he be mad at me for the good? But no, I'm not mad at you. That was a bunch of good. But you didn't do the thing I asked you. I am here to tell you there is a plan for your life. There is a master plan. And the author of all creation has that plan. And we should do what he's called us to do. And he'll show you and he'll lead you. And out of that comes unspeakable joy. And he gives us joy in all the seasons. Even if you're in a season right now where you're like, this is hard and this is difficult. Even in that, God gives us joy. And the thing about joy I love the most is you, um, you can't fake joy. You could potentially fake happy moments, right? I could fake a happy moment. A happy moment. It's like, oh, so good to see you. Hey, how are you? Oh, bless your soul. Oh, God is so good. Oh, yes, the family's great. Oh, right? Like, we could do it. I could do it. Like, oh, man, come on. Life is so good. Going golfing, living the dream, right? I could fake a happy moment. You can't fake joy because joy isn't an emotion. Joy is a strength. Joy is a strength that comes from the source. You can't fake joy because joy stands in the midst of every circumstance. It's a strength and a power that infuses us. That is the difference, by the way. People are like, oh, followers of Jesus, they're so happy. Oh, I hope you're happy. But I got more than happiness. Because when my dad died, or when my daughter was diagnosed, or when my wife was diagnosed, or when my friend died, or that person, or I lost the job, or I was betrayed, or you, you just start naming things, my happiness went real quick. But the joy of the Lord was there. The same joy that held Stephen in the midst of one of the worst moment of his life, right? There's a power in it. Okay, now go with me. Look in this. Look at verse 8. It says, Stephen was a man full of grace and power. Now, the grace here is interchangeable with joy. You can just do. But I want to focus on that word right there, power. This is one of my favorite words, Greek words in all of Scripture. Bamana alluded to it this morning, and we have not compared notes. It's the word dunamis. Now, it's the Greek. You know, the New Testament was written in the Greek. And there's multiple words in the Greek language used for power. They all have slightly different meanings, okay? The two most common used words in the New Testament for the word power are exousia and dunamis. Now, if you are proficient in Latin and Greek, you realize that I am destroying the pronunciation of those words. So I apologize. Let's just move on. I'll say it with an Italian accent and we'll all be all right. All right. Exousia and dunamis, okay? 
Exousia is the Greek word means power. It's delegated power. It's, um, it's borrowed authority. It's representative. It's good. Both are good. But exousia is representative power. It's like when my kids were young and Judah wouldn't give Caleb his toy. And my son Caleb would come and be like, Daddy, I keep asking. I'm like, go away. Go figure it out. And he goes like, give me my toy. Give me my toy. And Judah's like, no, no, no. And then he comes back and finally I'm like, go tell your brother. I said to give you the toy. All of a sudden, Caleb walks in the room a little different this time. Hey, big brother. He's like, yeah. he's like, oh, give me my toy. He's like, no. He's like, dad said, <laughs> right? And then his big brother's like, oh, whatever. And he gives it to him, right? That's, it's delegated authority. It's like, it's representative power. It's not Caleb's power. It's the force behind Caleb. We get that kind of power from God. Like, I realize when I walk into a room, I try and walk in, like, I got guys like Mo and Jordan that are angels behind me. I, like, walk in, like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah, you know, right? Like, you walk in because you got this power. But that's not what's being used right here when it's talking about Stephen, how he was a man full of grace and power. No, the word being used here is dunamis. Oh, man. Now, this, this is the original power. This is, this is power straight from the source. This isn't borrowed. This isn't delegated. This is the kind of power that just, I mean, it comes from the very fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, that God himself is with us and in us. How can I best explain it? It's like when my kids were young and they would put their dirty feet up on the couch and my wife would walk into the room and she would stop. And she'd look at their feet, and then she'd look at them. And say a thing. Because dunamis power, it doesn't have to command. It doesn't have to demand. It doesn't even have to request. It is simply understood. <laughs> and my boys, without, without my wife saying anything, she just look. And look at them. And they'd be like, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mom. Mom, what can I do? You want me to clean the dishes? Like, you know what I'm saying? That is straight from the source. It's a power that needs no explanation. The Bible calls it supernatural power. And out of that power comes supernatural joy. It's the very thing that allows Stephen, in the midst of the most tumultuous moment, to be like, I see God. And Lord, forgive them all. It's this power that originates that gives us joy unspeakable. It's God confidence. You ever meet someone who just seems to emanate confidence? Not arrogance. Because arrogance comes from me. I could be arrogant because like, oh, I'm good at this. Oh, I did good at that. Oh, I like the way this jacket looks. And so I can, I can project arrogance. Confidence comes from within. God confidence. It's a confidence that's like, man, if you only knew the God of the universe is with me. He's for me. So when you go into a business deal or you're, or you're having a relational difficulty, you're like, this isn't just me showing up. This is God showing up. God within us. That is what Stephen was operating with. It gives us unspeakable joy and unspeakable turmoil, which brings me to Romans 15, 13. This was written by Paul. Now, it's interesting to me. Paul used to be Saul. And when Stephen was murdered, Saul was standing there. The Bible makes it clear. It seems like a footnote. Like it shouldn't, like it shouldn't even be included. But it says when they were stoning him, it just says they laid their jackets at the feet of a man named Saul. Saul watched the whole thing happen. Saul watched Stephen die. 
Saul gave his approval to the murder of Stephen. And Saul saw Stephen in the way he responded and the power and the grace in his life. I wonder if Romans, which we're about to read in 1513, I wonder if this had any influence when Paul penned it into Holy Scripture. Look what it says. And imagine Paul watching Stephen in this moment. He says, now may God, the fountain of hope, the source of my strength, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. Don't you think that he saw that happen that day with Stephen? Here's a man being murdered and yet he's joyous. His peace seems to be perfect. And he says, and may the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same, it's literally the same Greek words, the same sentence is used in Acts 6, when it says, Stephen was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Power. May the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life. Not just occasionally, not just periodically. No, 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 no. In every season, at all times, may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life, his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Do you know the actual Greek rendering of that phrase, radiate with hope, means anticipate with pleasure, with joy. No doubt, Paul writing this, however, was it years later, was it months later when he wrote this? Maybe a few years? No doubt as he was penning this inspired scripture, he had to have looked back and thought of Stephen because he saw it firsthand. He saw the joy of the Lord, the power of God giving a man strength when it seemed like there should be none. In 735, chapter 735, Stephen makes this statement and I think many times we miss it. He says, behold, I see the son of God standing at the right hand of the father. I see him standing. This is a big deal. Here's why this is a big deal. Because Jesus earned the right to sit on the throne. Jesus, we celebrated Easter last Sunday. Jesus died on a cross for the sins of humanity. He conquered sin and death. And because he did that, because he's the only one who can do that, he now has earned the sole spot to sit on the throne. There's scripture verses, all of Psalms 47 says, he is over all and he sits on the throne. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah the prophet, he saw a glimpse of heaven like Stephen. He says, I see God exalted, seated on his throne. Colossians 13 says he is seated right now on the throne at the right hand of God. Make no mistake, the place of honor and the place that Jesus has earned because he is the son of God is to sit on the throne. No one can make him stand. He doesn't have to stand. But on this day, for an ordinary man living an ordinary life, for some reason, the son of God, the king of kings, the ruler of heaven and earth stands up. Doesn't have to. I'm quite certain 
He's earned the right to stay seated. But the Bible says he was standing. And Stephen gets a glimpse of Jesus standing on his behalf. Standing for an ordinary man who was willing to live for something bigger than himself. What are you living for? I hope you have dreams. I do. I hope you have like dreams in business and dreams for family and dreams for good and dreams. I hope you have like dreams like I want to buy that house down there one day and I want to get that. That's so good. I want grandchildren and I want children and I want, I want to meet the love of my life. Have dreams, but please understand that there is something bigger than your life. And it is the only thing that will give us this joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Because if everything I have is just what I'm going for, it doesn't always work out that way. Right? You found that to be true. I have found that to be true. Like I had a plan, and then it just corona hit, and my plan imploded. And if my if my joy and my soul was anchored to the plans I had, if it was anchored to you and our friendship, and I love you. It's going to implode. No, 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 no. It has to be connected to something bigger than you. Can I make a recommendation? God. I know you're in church and I'm a pastor, but can I just make a recommendation? How about God's purpose for your life? How about that? What if you were to start to see life and see every season of life through God's eyes? Like he has a plan for you. Like this is so hard. Maybe God will take the hard, turn it to good. He's done it for me. Scripture says he'll do it for you. Jesus stood up for Stephen. <laughs> this is a big deal. Like I, if you told me when Paul breathed his last, that Jesus was like, love you, man. I mean, Paul, he's like one of the heroes. If you told me like Joshua of old, who just won all the battles, King David, King David, I mean, come on, man after God's own heart. When King David breathed his last, I could see heaven standing up, saluting. This is just Steve, man. Ordinary guy. He's a waiter down at the restaurant. But make no mistake, he lived for something bigger than himself. So it didn't matter what the world thought of him. It didn't matter what his peers thought about him. He could have gotten offended that the apostle said, hey, man, would you wait tables? Like, really? You don't want me to preach? Because I'm pretty good at it. No, no, no. He could have, but he didn't. Just lived big and heaven applauded <laughs> heaven. have you ever had people applause for you have you ever been in that moment at first it's awkward but then it starts to feel really good and they just start to clap you know the slow clap and it just starts to build and you're like man this feels great and then they start to stand and then they start to like yeah and you're like oh god you know like have you ever felt that it makes you feel so good Can I tell you that heaven is applauding you right now? Slow clap. Just bam, bam. Hebrews 12 says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as if life were a race and we're in that race and all of heaven is cheering you on. The applause of heaven. I pray that it rings in your ears today. And I pray that it gives you the same joy that it gave Stephen Stephen could have been, he could have despaired. He's being stoned. He could have had fear. He could have had horrible pain. No, 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 no. The joy of the Lord was his strength. Are you discouraged this morning? It's okay to admit it if you are. Are you borderline depressed? Are you in a tough season? 
have things not worked out the way you thought they would. I pray. I pray that you find inspiration, not from the greats in scripture, but from the ordinary, ordinary man who lived for something bigger and heaven stood to its feet and applauded him. And what was the result? Unspeakable joy. When he should have been in horrible pain. Nah. When he should have been so mad and so angry and so bitter. Because honestly, people murdering you, there's right to be bitter. But no, not Stephen. Because he was living for something bigger. So he just said, God, they're, they're chucking rocks at me. They're killing me. Man, don't hold it against them. I see you. I see you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Can you hear me this morning? You can do this. God is with you. We can do this. God is with us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do I why do I show up to church? Why do I subscribe to what's in this book? Because it's the right thing to do. Because I want to be a good person. No, because the joy of the Lord strengthens me. Helps me in my marriage. Helps me raise my kids. Helps me be a friend to you. Helps you be a friend to me. Helps us live in a culture and a society that is just so divided and isolated. Can I tell you something that I'm not, whatever's happening, why ever it's happened, it's happening. And the enemy, the powers that be, I'm not talking about political powers because those are so weak compared to the spiritual powers that be. That was the plan to isolate and to make you, can I tell you, the joy of the Lord is my strength. People aren't our enemy. I'm not going to get mad at people because we disagree. You're not my enemy. No, 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 no. I know who the enemy is. He's out to take my joy. He's out to steal my purpose. I know who he is. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. Them out there, if whether you wear masks or don't wear masks, you're not my enemy. Whether you like this or whether you're a Democrat or Republican, that doesn't, we're not enemies. I know who the enemy is. The enemy wants to steal your joy. Let's remind ourselves collectively the joy of the Lord is our strength together. And so if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling complex and confused, if you're feeling angry, I try and put myself in the position of Stephen sometimes. If you start throwing rocks at me, I promise you, I'm going to get some of my friends like Nate and uh, some of these guys. And we're going to throw back. We will. I will. But Stephen, because here's what the joy does. It gives me so much strength that I'd be like, did you just come at me? <laughs> it's all good. I mean, that is strong. I taught my sons when they were young. Like any man can throw a punch. Any man can. And sometimes we've taught ourselves that that makes us stronger. It does not make, you know what's stronger is to not do it. You could, not saying you can't, but you don't. I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to fight against people. I'm not going to fight against a season that God has me in. You're fighting the wrong thing. Joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for me that in these days to come, in this year, we got a lot of it left that I believe is going to be really, really good. And there's going to be our moments, but I'm praying in the midst of it. <sighs> the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us power, joy. And may it be said of us as followers of Jesus that we are strong. And when we are weak, he is strong. I promise you, people who don't know Jesus, they're going to come to you. 
what is up? Like, how are you so calm? How are you so happy? And how are you so peaceful? Oh, man. Heaven's applauding. I'm living for something bigger. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. God, right now, I pray for every person that's in church this morning that they would sense you. I do. So grateful for you. We're talking about joy this morning and I feel like crying just because I sense you and I know that you love the people in this room. You have such a plan and a purpose. Lord, would you help us to see beyond, beyond the hard moments and the difficult situations and the challenging circumstances. Would you help us to see beyond the fog of discouragement and hopelessness? Even people that walked into church this morning just feeling that weight of everything. Lord, would our eyes lift? Just like Stephen, may we see you standing up with us, giving us power. I pray that every person in this room, Jesus, empower us to come against discouragement or depression or frustration or anger or confusion. Thank you, God, that you just, all of it would clear, that the haze would just, it would lift. We'd see you clearly. We'd have joy in the midst of it and hope. And we would radiate with hope. With every eye closed, we'll just give you an opportunity. Every time we gather, if you're in here and you say, I need that hope, it's yours to have. Just so you know, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'd love to pray with you. And I'm going to count to three. And if you're in here and you say, I I need to put my hope in Jesus, I would love to pray with you. It's as simple as you saying, Lord, I believe. That's it. And God forgives us. His plan begins. He's always been looking for you, by the way. He's always been there with you. He loves you. I'm going to count to three if you're in here. I was like, today I want to put my hope in Jesus. I'd be honored to pray with you. When I get to three, would you just raise your hand and then put it right back down so I know? One, two, three. Wherever you are, just pop it up put it down. Thank you. Anyone else? I see you. Yeah. Anyone else? You can put it down. Anyone else? Amen. God, we ask you right now to save us. Save us from the mess we're in. Save us from our sins. Save us from our, from ourselves. Lord, I don't understand how it always works, but I know you forgive. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me hope beyond my deeds, beyond my good works and my bad works. From this moment forward, Jesus, I put my life in you. I put my trust in you. I rest in you. Thank you for giving me joy in it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause for the many people who raised their hands?